Johnson. What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I'm Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLA.com and The Advocate, here today with Jeff Nowak. Hey, y'all. And special guest, the Slim Shady of Suburban Texas, Old Miss star, played overseas a little bit, and now you're a coach. I saw a picture of you in a suit, and it was a little bit jarring, but you look pretty good, man. Uh, Marshall Henderson, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm great. I'm actually in, in Colleyville right now, so just hanging out, trying to get through this covid crisis we got going on you know trying to figure out what the next step is which it's like school is about to start soon and still everyone just doesn't have an idea <laughs> yeah so like you don't you don't even know for sure if you're going back to um you know thomas university where, where you're coaching in georgia yeah they the last week they had told us what they want the athletes to do right now is would go back august 1st and everyone quarantine and then start school but you know I don't know what they're going to do with students they haven't said like for you know just regular students if they're going to be doing online classes or not but you know for for uh, for like the coaches in the meetings we've had we would love you know no students be there you know just everyone do online classes even with our athletes because then we could be in the gym more (laughs) you know if everyone's doing online stuff you know that really keeps everything separate but you know it's just it's crazy we're talking to some new recruits right now and it's they still don't know we haven't given them a definite when they need to be there um i think school starts like august 20 something but uh and others i mean even at the big the big time universities the coaches that i played for that i'm talking to they don't really have an idea either so uh everyone's just kind of waiting to hear here see what's going on so i've got i've got a couple years now of getting a pretty good idea of players uh, all around texas um to trying to you know establish myself as being able to recruit these guys when you go into recruits homes are they pretty aware of you know what you were able to do at high school and and at the college level like did they have some sense of at least what you accomplished um around around here um the kids do um kind of everywhere in the country uh it kind of depends um most of the high school kids are a little or too young to have watched me play in college but here in the in the HEB Grapevine Colleyville area you know there's one kid actually from Colleyville um Nico Bosonikis he's a really good player and I've been uh recruiting him and he was like yeah like um my dad took me to watch you play in high school (laughs) so uh, you know, so I know some of those kids and, and, you know, I mean, I've also come back and done basketball camps here too. So like it, locally, mo- the, all the kids know, and they all know my brother too. So, um, you know, it really helps coaching knowing that I have a nice presence in Dallas because Dallas is such a huge hub for college recruits. And, you know, if I can establish myself as the top guy in Dallas, you know, that's going to really help me going forward, um, getting these you know, these, these, these power five jobs that I ultimately want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your, your dad was a high school coach at LD Bell where you played. Does it, does it feel like going into the family business or does it feel like doing something different because you're, you're trying to do it at another level? Yeah. I mean, it is kind of going into the family business. I always tell my dad that I'm like, all my friends go work for their dads. My dad quit coaching, like right as I started coaching. (laughs) And I was like, Hey man, you're supposed to hire me as your your JV coach, <laughs> you know, I, I've always wanted to do the college thing. Cause you know, I, I high school would be tough cause I'm not good with just kind of the players I have. I want to go get my own players. Um, but definitely that also helps from my dad coaching all those years. And, you know, I have an unlimited amount of contacts all around Texas from guys that I've met, you know, since I was five years old that my dad's coached with. And, you know, that, that helps a lot, you know, already having those relationships because, you know, as I'm seeing it now, a lot of times that's how you get a kid is you've got the the most the closest personal relationship, um, the most trust. And, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a lot of positives uh, that I never thought, you know, I never thought anything about it, you know, when I was younger. But now that I'm in it, it it's definitely great. Yeah. I mean, exactly what you said. Recruiting is, is so much about relationships. I mean, is that 
you just, you just seem to know everybody. I mean, is that the part of the job that, that really is interesting to you of, you know, I've already got this network, like it, it just makes sense for me to do this. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and it's like, after a lot, a lot of stuff that I've gone through, um, I feel I really want to help the the kids. Like some of the kids I'm recruiting, I'm trying to, you know, I mean, it's also for me too, like trying to send, get players that, you know, they're better than, than Thomas or they're better than NAIA, you know, and try and get them up to a junior college or maybe a D2 school or D1. You no, know, just like I'm, when I'm playing open gym, I'm playing with a bunch of recruits and I'm still busting them. And so, you know, I'm, I'm able to get their respect still from like on the court and uh, you know, they, they're like, okay, you know, you might know, you probably know what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, that's another thing that helps me on, you know, coaching is, is when I'm doing workouts, uh, you know, I'm in the workout, you know, it's not just a cone or a chair, like I'll be the defense and I'm probably better than the player they're going to go against. So, you know, that's just trying to use some of that, some of my youth still to, to my advantage. The first time I remember seeing you play, I think I was a sophomore. I think you're two years older than me. Um, I was I was not very good. I was on the JV team then. And I just remember our, our crowd was letting you have it. I think they were saying daddy's boy or something like that because your dad was a coach. And you hit a three from just inside half court, like near the logo. And uh, I think you just shushed the crowd or something. Um, you had some. You scored somewhere in the 30s. Do you do you have any memory at all of that game? Or is that just like just another one? Well, that was one of my favorite games of all time because at the <laughs> I, my girlfriend actually went to Colleyville, and so it was funny that uh, we were once I I guess we started like we were like started dating or whatever high school girlfriend and and you know Christmas time and so it was like oh at Colleyville Heritage we're gonna mark that one there and you know we go and everyone's hates me because well I hated all of us because actually wind up all of my boys like stole all the Colleyville girls so it wasn't just me it was like our whole squad <laughs> everyone all the dudes from Colleyville were pretty upset at us. And so, you know, they, it's, we start out, I stole the ball in the first play and missed a dunk. And that was like, that started this whole thing. And then all of a sudden, um, I think I hit like six threes in a row or something. I shot that last one from so far. And uh, I remember they had like some dude video and, and I turned around, told him I outscored the whole team because I had at that point. And, uh, you know, I didn't even play like, I don't even think I played the fourth quarter. We were beating them so bad. And it, you know, obviously, you know, uh, uh, so many of my my best friends now are went to Colleyville. Some of them were older than, you know, both of us. But, you know, like Chris McCumber, uh, one of my really good friends now, and he was on that team. And it's always good to, like, kind of have that little, uh, you know, we whooped you in high school thing for the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, I read this old Bleacher Report article where one of your coaches overseas basically said that Hey man, if you could play in a hostile environment every night, like you'd for sure be the best player over here because you just you just seem to thrive in those situations. Do you feel like that is the case where, you know, where you're going into a situation where people are, you know, amped up and specifically at you that that you are able to like raise your game or does that like make you want to go out and give them a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it goes back really to pretty much my whole life of playing basketball like because when I first, when you first started playing basketball in first grade, you know, I was the only kid. Well, there was a couple other kids, but like I was by far the best kid because I could actually jump for a rebound and then turn and dribble as fast as I could all the way down the court. So I'd score like 50 points a game on just that alone when I was younger. So, you know, I, I only lost, I lost twice, like from first through sixth grade. So everyone was always gunning for me. And then like in middle school, you start playing different schools and, you know, people start realizing, Hey, this kid's pretty good. And then my freshman year in high school was my first year. And, you know, this, I was at a, a, a small town called Bowie, Texas, which is a little three, a school, you know, it's kind of different than from the big schools in Dallas, Fort Worth. The crowds are different at the smaller schools because it's literally the entire town that goes to the games. So those environments that I played in my freshman year of high school were crazier than anything I ever played in when I was at LD Bell in the five A's. Cause it's just, it, it's just more, you know, the, the fans, the whole town is more, it's more intimate. They're more into it. And uh, that was kind of when it first started, um, you know, all the chanting and all that stuff. And then it just so happened to be that my highest scoring games would be on the road. <laughs> and uh, I would get upset sometimes. I'd be like, man, I'm not even impressing any of these girls at high school. Cause I'm not playing well at home. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it just, and it just kept, it kind of kept going 
like if you go back to like all my best games, I'm the highest scoring games, they were always on the road, always with the best environment. I don't know. It's just something I've always loved doing is playing in front of a really big crowd on the road because it's just it's it's a great feeling when it when you just shut a lot of people up. Yeah, I mean, you just embrace being the heel. Um, why Why do you just think you're comfortable playing that role? I mean, I, I respect it. I love it. Some <laughs> people hate it. I really do enjoy it. I, I'm not kidding. Like, I just think it's funny. You know, it's like professional wrestling mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, well, I'm also probably the most competitive person you'll meet. Um, I'm extremely competitive in everything. Um, you know, Monopoly, Tic-Tac-Toe, MLB The Show. It doesn't matter. Like, I, I'm just extremely competitive in anything I do. And, you know, it's just when you go into different places, that competitiveness, it has to raise, uh, you know, a level. And it's kind of what I'm talking to when, you know, when I'm talking to kids in a lot, sometimes in Dallas, you know, I'll be working kids that are like me and they're like, well, how did you do it? And I'm like, well, I, I, you know, it's kind of a a mental thing that I just kind of, it just kind of grew on me. And, you know, that's one of the big things with, when you're trying to become from a good player to a great player or what's that next step, a lot of it is, is the mentality part. And it's really difficult to try and figure out how to get a player to that level if they don't already have it inside them. And so luckily for me, I always had that. Um, no one had to, you know, no one ever had to get me amped for a game or anything like that. So it's just kind of a, a, the mentality part. Okay, so I, I mean, I'm curious. So you have you started at Utah, then obviously you transferred to Texas Tech and never played there because I want to say they fired Pat Bobby Knight. Knight. Pat Knight, Pat yeah, Knight, sorry, yeah, yeah. And and then you ended up back in the SEC. You grew up in kind of SEC country. You know, how important was it to to return to that type of kind of environment? Well, I mean, I was more so in like the Big Twelve, like you know, and I hated the Big Twelve because no one really ever recruited me. Well, they they recruited me, but no one was like really on me. Um and so, you know, uh, when I, when I went, when I transferred from Utah, um, to Texas tech, there was like that team that when, that was my redshirt year, that team had like eight seniors and the rest were freshmen. So it was a perfect place for me to transfer to. Cause you know, there was going to be all the seniors are going to leave. And we thought they were going to have a really good season. Obviously you get, you get a team like that. And, you know, Pat Knight was in the last year of his contract. So those teams, you know, it's kind of a you 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 hit or miss, and uh, unfortunately, we didn't. It, it just didn't vibe together until the end, um, and then they ultimately fired him. And so, you know, going to JUCO, we didn't lose a game and won the national championship. Got me to that SEC level, and um, I already had like a personal vendetta against LSU because when I was in high school, the Stan- I was Stanford's top recruit, and this is when they had the Lopez twins. And, uh, well, they obviously were really good. So that coach got the head job at LSU and I'm thinking, Oh, okay. Like I'm about to be going to LSU <laughs> and, uh, found out in like a press conference. They didn't even call me. It was like in a press conference. They asked him about it. And he's like, you know, you got to get a different type of player, um, for the sec. So going into Ole Miss, I already had LSU circled on the schedule. I was like, okay, we got to go, we got to go get those guys. And I, we beat them at Utah. I beat them uh, twice. We played them twice. Yeah, so I went 3-0 and against LSU in my college career. Um, had really good games all three times. Um, and, uh, you know, but I think – and then A&M. A&M became in the SEC, so that was cool. When, uh, when I first got there, that was the first year A&M had come into the SEC. So that was cool to come back to play Texas school. But a lot of the rest of the SEC, I wasn't really that familiar with. I knew Kentucky was good, and you know, I knew Florida had had got those back-to-back championships um, when I was in high school. But you know, it was it was interesting going into new territory, um, and you know, it started out SEC football, which you know, you're thrown into a, a completely different environment. Like Big Twelve is great and all, but like. You're looking at like fans of like forty, sixty thousand as compared to hundred thousand at all the SEC schools. And so once I got into that environment, I was like, Oh, wait a minute now. This is a little different. <laughs> I'm so curious. I mean, how did you you know, when you you are obviously a competitive person, how do you how do you walk that line of being, you know, like jacked up but but not letting it go too far and like losing your cool. What well, is you gotta that? Be smart. You just, I mean, as funny as it sounds, you got to be smart. Um, you know, like a lot of people talk about the Auburn thing that I did to the fans. Well, that's after the the buzzer sounded, the game was over. You can't get in trouble for that. 
Um, you know, a lot of times going like at a timeout, it's just like, you gotta be smart. Like when that happened, it was, it was when the horn sounded, you know, the buzzer, the buzzer went off, the game was over. There's nothing anyone can do about that. When there's a timeout and you're going back to your bench and you're hyping your crowd up, um, you know, that's, that's not, that's not crossing the boundary. And they let a lot of trash talk go on the, on the, on the floor. It's not like I was the only one talking trash. I can assure you there was lots of trash talk being thrown my way, which was most of the time was stupid, but um, you know, that kind of goes back to one of those things, like my competitiveness, there would be, you know, games that I wouldn't be going, I wouldn't be playing very well. And some dude would like say something to me and it would just like trigger me and just sends me to like another place to where it's just, you, I forget what happened all before. And then the competitive like nature would come in and that's where muscle memory would take over. The people closest to me know the best way to, the best way to guard me is just don't say anything to me, but still to this day, no one's figured that out. (laughs) What's an example of that? Somebody said something to you and you're like, Oh man. Well, uh, okay. So we're in Las Vegas in AAU and, um, I was like the first two games I was awful. Then, uh, you know, some dude was like, you know, bumps me. And I was like, what? I hit like five, th- I hit like five threes in a row. We wind up winning the game. The next game, I'm still fuming from this guy and we're playing Brandon Knight. And I hit Brandon Knight for like 30 in the first half in this, it was packed in Las Vegas. And everyone, I thought I was going to have a dunk and I, I laid it up and everyone was laughing at me. But um, yeah, that's just, you know, one of those things. Um, one time we were playing Tennessee and they were starting to whoop us and my senior year. And then um, Josh Richardson got me a little cheap shot knee to the thigh, took me out of the game. And I come back in and uh, I did, I, we lost that game, but you know, I, I, I went off. I, I don't know. I had like, like 16 straight points at one time and we were losing and brought us back. But then that, you know, this was the year they, I think they went to the sweet 16 that year. They had him and Jordan McRae and, and Jarnell Stokes and, and Jaron Maiman. They were mad. They were really good. But yeah. Just stuff like that. Sometimes you just get, get a nice trigger, um, you know, and that's, I always liked when I got those triggers. Cause then, you know, I could forget about, what was going on. Cause sometimes I'm a little bit of a head case and it's hard. It's really hard when you're having a bad game to like, yeah, figure out how to get out of it. And sometimes, and well, most of the times it wouldn't even be me that got myself out of it. It would be the other person that would, you know, say something or bump me or something that would just, you know, upset me to the point of going to, to, to another level mentally. Uh, so much of shooting, I think, is just not being self-conscious. There is a story of Steve Kerr used to write the letters F-I in his shoes and that stood for F it. Um, it was basically a reminder to himself that if he missed, you know, three, four, five, six shots in a row that he wouldn't get in his own head. This might be a dumb question, but do you think part of just being a good shooter is, is not overthinking it? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and, and sometimes my dad, I mean, my dad was my coach. So sometimes after games, he could call me and tell me what I was doing wrong mechanically. It's not always mental, but you know, in the middle of the game, it's going to be mental. And uh, it's tough, you know, it's tough too when, when you're a shooter and you're not just a shooter, you're actually like the primary role of an offense that your shooting is what, you know, everyone's relying on to get the win. And, you know, that, that makes it a little harder. Um, You know, if you're just some guy that, you know, you get three, you know, you shoot three threes in a game, you know, and everyone expects you to make it and you go, you know, you have a few games where you're not really doing anything that can be overcome. But, you know, when you're like a primary point of the offense and uh, it's not going well, that's the, the toughest part when you know, you you're trying to really, you know, I don't want to say put the team on the back, but you know, you know, you're the reason that your team is losing. <laughs> that is tough to try and, 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 and overcome in, in the middle of the game. But, uh, and I, w- I wish I said I was a hundred percent perfect on being able to correct it, but I wasn't, I mean, the, the last game that I lost uh, my senior year, we played Georgia. I think I, I went like two for 16 from threes. It just never, never came. It's an unfortunate way to end college basketball, but it always—it's just a bad feeling when you're just in the locker room or on the plane back, and you're just thinking, you know, it's not—not not necessarily being selfish about it. Just, I mean, you know, it's just knowing that, well, you know, 
you can pretty much point to me <laughs> on that particular night, you know? And so, especially when there'd been so many times um, for me, like when I had proven that I could, you know, kind of go streaky, you know, be missing. And then all of a sudden the end of the game um, that, you know, it goes back to my competitiveness. I'd proven it so many times over my life that, you know, it's, once it gets down to crunch time, you know, I'm trust, I'm trusted with the ball. And uh, it just, it sucks whenever it doesn't go your way. As far as the mechanics of your form, um, I mean, you got a, you got a lot of threes up at Old Miss. Um, and I don't know if people realize, like, that's that's hard to do if you're like six foot two is just to even get that, that volume up and make them at a pretty high percentage. You, you jump really high. I mean, you just have a, a very, like you get very far off the ground before you release the ball. I get like this ugly set shot. Was that something you worked on or just were able to do of just, I'm just going to, I mean, I know I need to jump really high to, to get my shot off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely worked on that um, all my life. Um, I also did this jumping program called air alert. I did it three times. Um, the first time I did it, my vert got up six inches. The second time I, I half-assed it and got my vert up uh, four inches. And then the third time I did it again, I got another six inches. So I got 16 inches total on my vertical just from that. And, uh, you know, everyone wants to think of vertical as like, can't, what can you do when you're dunking? You know, no, it's also what can you do on your mid-range pull-up or on your three-point jump shot, um, being able to contest. For me, a good example is uh, so when my – my junior or senior year, I got invited to the Kevin Durant camp, which was like the top 15 uh, wings in the country. I was the only one under six, five and the only one where my wingspan was shorter than my height. <laughs> and so like, you know, those guys I'm guarding in the sec, I'm guarding like a six, seven, you know, six, six wing, you know, I, you know, playing against guys where you're so undersized and really having to work on that vertical for, you know, to be able to contest on defense, um, you know, that was a big thing for me because I'm already horrible at defense anyways. And so, you know, trying to trying to at least let them see my hand that it's somewhere close to them. Um, and then, you know, trying to rebound, uh, stuff like that, get your shot off. So that, that's what I tell these guys when I'm putting them on this jumping program is um, there's a lot more to basketball that involves jumping than, than pregame dunking. Um, and that's hard to get, get it through young kids' heads because all they're trying to do is dunk. Um, and, you know, there's just so much more that you'll use your explosion for. What is Air Attack? Explain it to me. Oh, Air Alert. So Air Alert is a jumping program. It's a 12-week program. Um, five, you do it five days in a row um, and then take two days off and then go. And um, it's, it's five sets. You just – and all you need is a chair, um, a stool – and, the, you know, the first set, you, you kind of go at like a 45-degree angle, jump as high as you can. But when you jump, your arms go down. So it's like a uh, working against you. And then the next the next set is just calf raises. You just get on the stool, and you want to stick your ankle all the way down and go all the way up. And then the third set is uh, step-ups where you're, you're with a chair. But it's not you're not just switching you're actually jumping as high as you can off the chair and then landing with the other foot and then jumping as high as you can the fourth ep uh, exercise is just you're standing straight up on your tiptoes you jump as high as you can and then land and just go right back up and then the fifth one is burnouts where it's like if you put a piece of paper under your feet and you're just on your tiptoes that's as high as you jump and you do like a that you do like 100 the first week and then it goes up by 100 um, each week and people get really confused by it because the first couple weeks is really easy, but that's just working your muscles. But by the time you get to week eight through week 12, people, a lot of people don't finish it. Um, it gets really, really hard at the end, but the results are phenomenal. I know that it works cause I did it. I'm not, my, even my own brother doesn't think it works. And I'm like, I've watched him do it. I don't think he's doing it correctly. Um, but you know, I had my dad watching me like every single jump I was doing. He has like, he's like, my sister was watching him. I'm like, okay, that's a huge difference. <laughs> my dad was going to beat my ass if I wasn't doing it right. <laughs> so you're saying if I do this program, I'll be dunking within the, within six months. Is that, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. You'll be way higher. I mean, it takes, it'll take like a couple of weeks for it to really, for, for it to settle in. But the, the best part about it is it's not – it doesn't, like, just, uh, you know, raise you for, like, a couple of months and then leave. Like, it's still 
I can still fly. Um, so like it's uh, it definitely stays for a really really long time. Um, you know, it, it it's not just a a quick hitter. Yeah, sixteen inches that it's your vertical. That's no joke. Um, mm-hmm. from a chair. Uh, yeah. From a chair. It seemed like um, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like you know you and Andy Kennedy were able to get along really well when you're at Old Miss. Uh, what was that mm-hmm. just relationship like? Well, I mean, it was great. He, uh, you know, he, when he played at UAB, he's the school's all time, which he just now got the head coaching job there. Um, he's the school's all time leading scorer and like all time three point shooter. Um, he would have played, he's had like six knee surgeries. Um, so like his pro career, um, it didn't, it wasn't very long at all. Um, and so, you know, he was able to get into coaching at a young age, but he, uh, and then he worked for Bob Huggins um, at Cincinnati. So, you know, he's a, obviously he's a, you know, a very energetic, passionate dude, uh, you know, like borderline volatile and uh, obviously working for Bob Huggins, um, you know, being kind of in that very intense. And so uh, for me and him, it was, you know, we're just two intense guys. And uh, you know, that at the end of the day, all we want to do is win. And, uh, you know, he, did, he it was it was really great working for him because, you know, especially like not just on the court, off the court stuff, um, you know, really helping me. And, uh, yeah, he, he's great. And he, I think I think the main thing is, you know, uh, he doesn't try to be like a father figure at all. Like a lot of college coaches try and be, you know, that's a, the reason I left Utah was, you know, me and my dad didn't have the greatest relationship in high school. And, um you know, they, they were like, Oh, it'll be different here. It was worse. And so I was like, I was like, dude, I'm not, I'm not staying here. And so, um, you know, he, he's never, Kennedy's never tried to be a father figure to any of his players. Um, you know, he really just keeps it very player coach, you know, he gives a lot of freedom. He expects you to become a man, you know, he's like, uh, you know, take care of what you need to do and, um, accept the, accept the consequences when you mess up. And just be a man about it. Be be a man about everything you got to do, and that really, it really helped a lot of us. Um, you know, knowing that we're playing for a coach who's just not like you know hardcore on us about every little thing. Um, after Old Miss, you go and play professionally in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Stops in Qatar in Iraq. Were those experiences strictly business trips for you? Were you were you ever able to get comfortable during that time over there? Oh, definitely. You know, um, Doha, Doha, Qatar is my favorite place in the world. That place is so awesome. And, you know, I thought, I thought, I I really thought I was going to be there. I thought I was never going to leave. I thought I was going to play there forever. Um, because the first, the first thing we did was, um, we played in the Arab cup, which is in Morocco. And it's basically like the world cup of the Arab worlds. Well, on my team in Qatar, we had the national team, the national team guys were on my team. So we had the big guys, so me and a guy named Dominique James, who played at Marquette with um, Wesley Matthews and Jimmy Butler and all them in the Big East when the Big East was really the Big East, me and Dominique James were on the same team. And we just, we dominated, you know, I think we won the championship by 20. And that was where the coach, you were talking about the quote earlier where the coach had said that the coach, the coaches we had were from Greece. And so the Greece leagues are really good. They have really good fans, really good following. And he was the one that was like, you know, when we played, we played the actual, the host team in the championship. So the crowd was packed. It's like a soccer game. They got flares going, drums everywhere, just constant noise. Like it was an environment I'd never really been in before. And, you know, it's in a concrete like thing. So it's just so loud. And it's just like, you know, I don't know if you're, you watch the world cup and you just hear those just constant sounds in the background. That's like what it was like. And um, I scored, I made like nine threes or something in the championship. And uh, the coach is like, oh, because I guess it was just di- all the other games. Um, there wasn't really much crowd. And even in the league in Qatar, it would only be like 10 or 20 people in the crowd. And you now he was like, you turn into a complete different animal when there's uh, a whole bunch of people there. And uh, I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it didn't work. What I didn't realize is over there is, they really just don't know what they're doing with basketball. Um, that's why they brought in the Greek coaches, but the Greek coaches aren't there anymore because over there, the, the you lo- we lost one game and they cut they cut me. So like they, uh, that's just how it is over there. I went back and played there a couple years later, 
And they said I was like the 20th American they had brought in in, the, in one season, and which is like 20 games. And so it's like if you lose a game, they just send you home and don't pay you. It's really messed up. But um, if you do win, then they're going to pay you a lot of money. And so, you know, when they, but it just didn't make any sense when they cut me. They were like, you know, we don't think you're good enough to help us win a championship. And I was like, I don't understand. We already won a championship <laughs> that I was the MVP of, and y'all gave me a really big bonus for it. So, um, you know, they just don't understand, like, chemistry and – they don't understand that. They think Americans are like robots and you just throw them in there and then they're going to score you 60 points and you're going to win every game. And, you know, as I've kept up with them since then, they haven't really won a lot. Um, not saying that I was the reason, but they just, they just never keep a team together. They just rotate people in and out. And uh, I was pretty upset about, you know, I mean, I, I, w- I, w- I was more sad than mad um, when they had let me go. And then, it turned out like, and that place was great for me. It was great for me where I needed to go because there's there's nothing social. There's no alcohol. There's, I mean, there's nothing to do there really, and which is why it's amazing. You know, I just see so many people here, you know, in America, just so ungrateful about a lot of things. And I wish people would have, be having the experience to go travel and live in a place where you can't. You want to talk about saying something against the government? <laughs> you would not want to do that there. <laughs> Gonna so, tread lightly. Yeah. And so, you know, um and no social activity, stuff like that. But it was it's still my favorite place in the world because it was so life changing for me. And it was but it was so great. There's no crime there. Um, you know, there's like I said, there's no alcohol, so there's no drinking and driving. Um, I think there was like they said when I was there, there was like five drunk driving fatalities in the entire year. Um, and so you know, I was shocked because obviously when I first went there, I'm just your typical American dude. I'm going to the Middle East. I was like, I'm talking to my agent. I'm like, can I even wear my clothes? And he's like, yeah, man. And so I get there. T- t- turns turns out that place is awesome. And, uh, you know, then from there I, I go to Baghdad, and which was – I was – uh you know, a little – I'd been reading my Bible, so I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm – whatever happens, I'll be, I'll be okay. And then of course my agent's like, well, there's a job in Baghdad. And I was like, okay. I'm like praying. I'm like, well, I didn't know if I was technically asking for that, but uh, it was definitely a pay raise. And then it also gave me another experience um, that, you know, as far as non-military people going, there's, I don't know. I've never known anyone besides the basketball players. So, um, so yeah, he, uh, so yeah, I got, the, I got another great experience over there and, you know, it, it's, it, it's obviously you look at a lot that's going on today in, in, in our country and it's just, I'm glad that I've been there, um, and lived there and, you know, I have, I have friends there. I want to go back. I hope they, I mean, hopefully this Corona stuff's gone, but the world cup is supposed to, is going to be in Qatar in 2022. And I want to go back there, um, and stay with my teammates, you know, and, they're actually allowing alcohol for the World Cup, <laughs> so uh, that it'll be interesting to see how, what it's like. But you know, they're they're building everything. Um, that, I mean, the the from the the two years in between when I was there and then went back, um, it was just built so much bigger. Um, but it's just one city. But it's I mean, it's just a it's it's a very populated and it's very similar to America in the sense that it's um, a lot of foreign people. I think only twelve percent. When I was there, only 12% of the population was true Qatari. The rest was people from all over the world. Um, and, you know, that was great. I, I mean, you know, all the signs are in English and stuff. And so once I realized I was comfortable there, I realized that, you know, it was my favorite place in the world. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to get back there. Um, I still keep in contact with those guys. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just it's great to have that experience. I watched the Vice Sports feature um, about your time in Baghdad, and one of the the funnier parts was uh, your friend, I believe, Marcel, won MVP of a tournament, I believe, and they gave him a vacuum cleaner for for winning that, right? (laughs) Yeah, I got the video on my laptop. It's so funny. Um, They give him this big box, and it's like wrapped up like a Christmas gift, and we're sitting there like, oh my gosh, what is it? And we get back to the hotel, and it's a vacuum cleaner. (laughs) Was it at least a good vacuum cleaner? Yeah, it was. Just, yeah, it, we vacuumed the apartment, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> or not the like the the hotel room. But no, it was just it was funny. I mean, it was funny to us. But then I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, is this valuable? Like, 
Like, is it, I don't, I, I, then I'm thinking I'm like being insulting by laughing so hard, you know? <laughs> so, uh, it was, it was, I think, yeah, I think it was funny because the basketball players there were laughing. So I was like, all right, if y'all, if y'all are laughing, then we can laugh. <laughs> well, I'll just say that I saw the picture I saw of it in, in the Vice Sports documentary. It didn't look like a state of the art vacuum cleaner. Like it looked like a vacuum cleaner that my parents were given as a wedding gift in the eighties. Yeah, like it has little four <laughs> wheels on the bottom, like just like oval shaped with a tube. <laughs> yeah. I mean it was it Very wasn't funny. a Roomba or it wasn't one of those with like the medicine balls no. and the swivel or anything like that. No, 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 definitely not high tech <laughs> at all. <laughs> um so I, something else in that feature was, you know, the day before the final game, um, they insinuated that you hadn't been paid. And you know, what mm-hmm. Vice Sports said was they agreed to pay you basically uh, half before the game and then half after. Was was that how it worked? Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, they ain't going to pay you if they don't got to. And so um, I'm sitting there like, uh, okay. And so they paid us, you know, they paid us the half before the game. And then after the game, they disappeared. Um, this is actually – you know, I've been I've been in talks with with a couple of people about like uh, writing a book, and this would be how my book would start. And it's like, you know, they pay us before the game. We lost the game, so of course they they're like, oh, uh, we're like, well, where's the rest of our money? And the coach is like, oh, let me find the general manager. They disappear. Um, we wake up the next morning t- to the hotel guy um, saying, your team all left in the middle of the night. There's someone outside waiting for y'all to take you to the airport. You're going to leave. leave now. Mind you, we're in Baghdad. And so I'm like, I'm looking at Marcel, and I'm like, uh, very interesting situation we have here. So we go outside. It's not even a taxi. It's like a car. And so I'm sitting here like, and they gave us, like, <laughs> we were paid in American dollars. So, like, we're like, okay, is this the end? <laughs> so uh, they take us to the airport. And we have to go through, like, the airport there is like a hundred million security checks. It's insane. And uh we had to like tip everyone. Well, luckily Marcel had some Iraqi cash and I was like, Man, I'm sorry. Well, we get through, we get to the airport, we get like we get to the security, and they take him to the back room and they weren't gonna let him go through because he stayed like two days longer than his visa allowed or something. And so I'm stuck in in my my plane's like about, to, and this is also, this was like my rookie year. So of course I was an idiot and I like closed my bank account in Mississippi and didn't get a new one before. And so I was like, I had, I didn't have like anything on me, like my phone. I didn't have a phone in international. I had a phone in Qatar, but I didn't have a phone in Iraq. And so I'm sitting here like, I haven't told anyone I'm leaving because I didn't know I was leaving. <laughs> And so I get to the, I mean, they finally let Marcel out and I was like, oh yes. And they let him out and they fly it and we get on a flight back. They got me a flight to Dallas, but I flew to Qatar first. I flew back to Doha and I was like, okay, I know this place. I know, I know where we're at. We're good. And uh, the time difference was like different to where I couldn't even uh, like contact anyone um, that I was about to be flying home. It was like in the middle of the night. So when I finally do get home, my family wasn't home. They were on vacation. <laughs> so I couldn't even get, I couldn't even get in the house. <laughs> I had to go, I had to stroll to my grandparents' house. <laughs> so yeah, it was a pretty interesting, like 48, 72 hours, however long it was. Um, where I was very, I was, I was scared. I won't lie. I mean, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know my team left in the middle of the night. I didn't know what I was supposed to think. And, uh, you know, so it was very interesting uh situation so it went well then as well as it could have <laughs> i guess if we would have won the championship it probably would have been a lot better i would have got the, the other half of my money but you know whatever well there's a shot in that vice sports uh video of i believe the general manager or the coach or someone handing you a wad of cash i mean he just gave you a wad of cash right a lot yeah and i was like and he's like well we'll hold on to it and i was like no you won't <laughs> And, so what'd you uh, do with the wad of cash? I stuffed it in my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I mean, it was just so like, it's just so unprofessional. <laughs> but, uh, and, and so and what was crazy too. So in that league, you could have three American dudes, but you could only have two on the court at the same time. So we had a big guy. We had another, we had another American dude, big guy. Well, Marcel, 
like scored like 45 points in this game. So I didn't even play the entire semifinal game. I'm just clapping the whole time. I was like, let's go, boy. Because Garnett uh, never needed a uh, never needed a sub. So what, are they going to sub me in for the guys that scoring 40 points? No. So, you know, I, I think I only played like four games there. And, you know, for the – for the amount I got paid, I was uh, I, I was okay with that. That with even with even the half, <laughs> I was like, all right, this is cool. Um, I know that you did uh, a training camp with the Sacramento Kings, and I, mm-hmm. I think I read that your locker was right next to Demarcus Cousins. You know, Boogie obviously spent some time in here in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think a very polarizing guy uh, among his teammates and fans. Did, did you ever have any interaction with him? The messed up part was he had two lockers, and I had to take his second locker and like i'm walking in with the with the trainer and you know i just i just got I'm, the first person i saw was Karan butler and so you obviously the first thing i tell him is like, hey man i'm from dallas like i know you got hurt but like all my guys in dallas wanted me to tell you thank you for that championship that you brought to dallas and you know he's like oh that's awesome and so turns out my locker was in between cousins and Karan butler well we walk in there and 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 the trainer's like, oh shit. <laughs> We're like, what? And uh cousins is like secondary locker is supposed to be my locker. And <laughs> we're just looking at each other like, what do we do? <laughs> so we move it. I work out or whatever, I come back in, and cousins is sitting there and he's like, They gave you that locker. <laughs> I was like, Yeah. <laughs> he just shook his head. And I was like, Okay. And so, you know. He does. That's it. Just like that's it. And I'm like, okay, I don't know. And he comes back in. He comes back in the next day, and he goes, "Boy, Marshall." And I was like, "What?" And he goes, "What the hell was you on? You was on some kill yourself shit, weren't you?" <laughs> and I was like, everyone just starts laughing. Everyone's in the locker room. It's before practice. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess you say that. But he, so he, and he, next to his locker, he has his poster of of him just dunking on Dirk. <laughs> and it was so funny. I take a picture and like send it back to my buddies, all my Dallas guys. I'm like, look <laughs> at this. <laughs> but no, that experience is cool too because, um, you know, I got to be teammates with Rondo, and obviously the the whole Rondo and Dallas Mavericks dynamic, um, didn't didn't end well, and um, I was able to change people's minds about Rondo, um, because I loved Rondo. He was great. He was great with me. Um, I was, I thought he was a great leader. He has just a weird perception, you know, people think of a lot of people think of him kind of like a selfish, you know, and stuff like that. But everything I've seen from him is he's a most unselfish dude because his his deal is like, you know, he only he's not a scorer. So how can you say a guy who passes the ball is selfish, you know, Um, and the thing kind of the difference with him, you know, I could see why him and Rick Carlisle kind of butted heads because the Mavericks have a system and Rondo kind of wants to do his own thing, but he's always trying to put players in the right spots. And so, you know, it worked, you know, with the Celtics, you know, when he had all those great players, they were all cool with, you know, him putting them all in the right spots where they needed to go. Um, it's, I mean, that's just how it is with any team, different players, different teams, you know. And so I really loved playing with Rondo. He, he's a great dude. Um, you know, he's basically a coach on the floor. Oh, definitely. Like, you can imagine why that would annoy a coach on the bench if it's not. Working yeah, out. I, yeah. I mean, especially if you're if you're a coach who demands, you know, structure and control, kind of like Carlisle has. Not saying anything against Carlisle. Obviously, the Mavericks have been extremely successful under him. But you know, I mean, that whole trade I didn't understand. I think we traded like th- our three best bench players for Rondo. We were already the number one seed. I say we. Being in Dallas, I guess I'm a Mavericks fan. And so, uh, you know, I never, I didn't even understand that trade in the first place. And of course, and I, but I definitely made a Facebook post about how horrible that trade was. I think Jay Crowder was in that trade too. I think that. And Jameer Nelson and somebody else. And it for Rondo. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. And, <laughs> but I was like, maybe it does because Mark Cuban is a smart guy and he knows what he's doing. And of course, it didn't work out. So here I am thinking I'm, I should be the general manager of the, Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think so. I, I remember. I grew up a Celtics fan. I remember that trade very well because it was basically Brendan uh-huh. Haywood and Jay Crowder went to the Celtics, and then the Celtics oh, managed yeah. to in a first round pick, and the Celtics managed to flip Brendan Haywood for Isaiah Thomas. Oh wow! So they Danny Ainge essentially like sabotaged the Mavericks season, and 
created a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Celtics have been making some pretty dang good moves last since then, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know they got the Nets really good. (laughs) I think people just stopped trading for them. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were like almost making the finals and then they get to draft Jason Tatum the next draft. Like, okay, that's, that's winning right there. After Markel Fultz, (laughs) who they traded back. (laughs) <laughs> so the 76ers could pick Mark Fultz number one. Oh, uh, anyway, yeah. It's, yeah, we wow. could go on for days about all that. Yeah, that was just a Jedi mind move. Marshall, I'm just curious, how much have you gotten to watch Zion Williamson this year, and what are your thoughts about what he's done that little time? Uh, I haven't watched him. Much. I'm, I'm not, like, I'm more of a college basketball guy. Obviously, I'm working in college, but, like, I just, you know, it's just all the games are so much more important um you know the fans are so much more into it there's just so much more passion and so I really don't watch the NBA much at all um except for the the playoffs when it actually means something but I know that I was really upset that Zion wasn't playing at the beginning of the year because you know I thought I thought that was an excellent trade the Pelicans pulled off to get Lonzo and uh Ingram and uh and Josh Hart you know I, I think those three dudes are really solid and uh you know with Zion I think uh, Jackson Hayes and couple other dudes they got jj reddick right yes sir so you know i thought i yeah i I felt that the pelicans had really built a really solid team um for this year and then of course zion gets hurt like right at the beginning and uh you know i'm I'm, i mean obviously we don't know what's going to happen with with this restart but i really felt like the pelicans were going to make that push to get to that eight seed and i want to see lebron versus zion so bad like that would be that would just be so great, you know. I mean, we I don't even we never got to see LeBron versus Kobe. You know, Dwight Howard ruined that um that one year. And um, you know, I Zion like a Zion versus LeBron is one of those, you know, generational matchups where, you know, they're kind of in different generations, but if they could play each other, I don't know how much longer LeBron has, you know. I mean, at some point you'd have to think he's gonna get old. <laughs> but uh, you know, but Zion I mean it's just amazing that, you know, it's, it was always funny watching the critics of Zion. They're like, oh, this isn't going to translate to the NBA. I'm like, dude, look, it's not even that much difference. <laughs> like, guys are just taller and faster, but, like, there's there's not really that big of a difference. Um, for a guy like that, there's, there, there's, you know, there's not that big of a difference. And so, you know, I knew he's going to do excel well, and he's on, he, and he's on a very balanced team. Um, which will really help um, going forward. But you know, I'm I'm I love I've loved watching Zion. I mean, it's just the fact that he's even a real human being. Um, you know, I mean, I don't remember how many years ago we were watching highlights of the kid, and then he was finally going to Duke. I was like, wait, this is actually a real dude. <laughs> like he's actually going to Duke, and now he's actually in the NBA. And uh, you know, he's. I think. You know, I think I think he really loves the game of basketball. Um, I think that's what sets him apart from some of these other guys that are kind of in that same, um, you know, threshold of, of elite status in basketball. But I think, you know, I've always thought he was like, you know, character wise, really, really good. And I think he's going to I think he work his work ethic is going to be really good. And I don't think I don't see him being one of those guys that's going to change as he gets older and gets more richer and more famous and all this stuff, I think he's one of those guys, you know, that's going to really, you know, stick to, stick to his guns. And um, that's one of the reasons I thought he he was going to be one of the best players. I think you're exactly right. That basketball is the most important thing to him. I mean, he's just very mm-hmm. focused on it. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. Whenever I saw the videos of Zion Duncan when he was 16, I, I was among the crowd that was like, uh, I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, he's an incredible dunker, but I've seen so many of these YouTube mixtapes that I was just skeptical. Um, and I was still a little bit skeptical even when he went to Duke. I'm like, you know, if, if Coach K's recruit, I'm like, all right, this guy must be able to play a little bit. But I definitely didn't think we were about to see, like, one of the greatest college basketball seasons ever. Um, you know, it's just hard to tell because those those kids he was playing in high school were, like, you know, private school kids in South Carolina. Yeah, it's just, it was hard to tell. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like he was in, you know, Dallas, like playing at, at you know, playing our schools. Like, obviously, we've had many a D1 players that have gone from from our schools and even players that don't play D1. You know, that's a thing that helps me recruiting right now is there's so much talent in Dallas that like 
you know, that's why we get upset about um, Cade Cunningham, the number one player in the country who's going to Oklahoma State. He left Arlington Bowie to go to Montverde or whatever in uh, Florida. It's like, why? Like, you just, you know, playing in Dallas in high school, the competition is so hard that you're going to have to learn how to win. And that's, a, you know, that's a lost art with AAU and, the, and these prep schools where they just load up on talent. They don't have any adversity. And a lot of those guys get to college, they get hit in the mouth. They don't know what, what to do. Um, you know, and that is the case like with Zion, you know, you see the, the little white kids from South Carolina and it's like, okay, how is it going to translate? But, uh, you know, it's, I will, I do have to defend the honor of the South Carolina AAU circuit for a second. <laughs> there have been some really, really good players coming out of South Carolina. Kevin Garnett was out of South Carolina. Ray Allen's out of South Carolina. John Morant's out of South Carolina. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a lot of you'd be surprised if you went and looked back at some of the names out of there. You'd be surprised. But you're right, Zion didn't play any of those guys. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, my 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 teammate from Ole Miss, Murphy Holloway, is from Irmo, South Carolina, and he's like one of the greatest players of all time from Ole Miss. So. You know, it's just it's just a Texas pride yeah. thing. You know? We think we think we're here, and everyone else is here. <laughs> well, Marshall, thanks you thank you so much for doing this today, man. This was really fun. Um, tell people, um, you know, how they can watch your games or, or follow you guys this year. Um, yeah, so you know, if, if I'm back at Thomas, um, you just it'd be on the website. It's called like Tu Nighthawks because um, we're the Nighthawks. Tu Nighthawks They have the live stream. Um, so. You know, well, it's just NAIA basketball, so you know it's not full scholarships. It's just it's got a lot of guys that still just trying to play basketball, and uh, you know there wasn't any players from Texas in our entire conference. Our conference is really good. It's all the teams in Florida. I think we put four teams in the national tournament this year, and um, they never played it. But you know, we got dudes. There's a guy that there was a guy in our conference that averaged 28 a game this year, and I don't care what level you're at, you average 28 a game. That's some serious stats. So uh, what's his name? His name is Mark Gordon. And uh, then there's another dude named Leo Barron. This dude is unbelievable. I'll have to send you his highlights. Like these guys, I mean, because they're NAIA, they'll start very low level professionally. But I could see these guys like really, you know, obviously injury free and all that stuff continue to to grow into pretty good players. Because, you know, when you when you get to overseas, you'll look and you'll see you'll look at the top teams and you'll click and you'll be like, what college is that? Because, uh, I mean, some do, it's all about just getting in and then performing once you get there. And, you know, there's there's players of all shapes and sizes and levels that can, that can perform. And, I mean, most dudes, some guys, when they're 27 years old, they're like absolute human man freaks. And so, you know, it's, it's all about that. Well, cool, man. Thank you so much. Uh, if you enjoyed this, leave us a five-star review. Uh, subscribe. Tell your friends. And we'll talk to you guys next week. All right. All right.